Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Sugar Mama's Cookies was started by Heather and Thomas Morris in Las Vegas, Nevada. They started Sugar Mama's Cookies to teach job skills to their children with special needs, utilizing Heather's skills as a former pastry chef. Sugar Mama's Cookies has an array of flavors, including this month's white chocolate raspberry. Give the gift of cookies by mail or in person. Available, boxed, in tins, regular, or gluten-free. Sugar Mama's Cookies can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and their new website, SugarMamasCookies.com. That's S-U-G-A-H-M-O-M-M-A-S, Cookies.com. You can also contact them through SugarMamasCookies at gmail.com. Sugar Mama's Cookies. What can we bake for you? Today is episode four of All About FASD with Dr. Jared Brown. Jared Brown, PhD, MA, MS, 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 is a professor, trainer, researcher, and consultant with multiple years of experience teaching college courses. Jared is also the founder and CEO of the American Institute for Advancement of Forensic Studies, AIAFS, and the Editor-in-Chief of Forensic Scholars Today. Jared has completed four separate master's degree programs and holds graduate certificates in autism spectrum disorder, other health disabilities, and traumatic brain injuries. Welcome to our last 2021 episode of All About FASD with Dr. Jared Brown. Dr. Brown's episodes have been such a treasure for our series and for our listeners. Dr. Jared Brown just has so much information and experience in FASD and in many subtopics about FASD. So we are welcoming back Dr. Jared Brown to FASD Hope. Jared, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Honored to be back again. And today's topic, we're ending our 2021 All About FASD series. We're ending it about adaptive functioning because it's something that uh, it's a topic that we really need to explore when talking about FASD. But before we start this conversation about FASD and adaptive functioning, can you please explain to our listeners what exactly is adaptive functioning? You bet. I think it's honestly one of the most important topics you really need to learn about if you want to understand FASD. So adaptive functioning really relates to daily living skills, social independence, independent living skills, like how do people take care of their own health, wellness, and safety. It relates to getting dressed, bathing, personal hygiene, brushing teeth, how we communicate our needs with each other. It, it absolutely relates to social skills, academic success, how we engage in recreation behaviors, how we function on the job, how we make friends. There's a lot of different 
elements to adaptive functioning. And if you really want to dig deeper into this topic, I would highly recommend looking at the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders. In the chapter that focuses on neurodevelopmental disorders, I would really direct you to the Diagnostic Criteria for Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities. They have a really good layout of adaptive functioning. And in the DSM-5, it's really broken down into three separate domains. The first domain is a practical domain, and this can apply to people with FASD as well. But that practical domain relates to learning and self-management across the life's different life settings, not just for kids, not just for adults, but across the whole life setting. Personal care. How does someone take care of their own health and wellness, taking their medications as prescribed? Can they find a job? Can they maintain adequate behavior on the job so they keep the job? Money management, do they engage in good financial decision-making? Can they manage their behavior? So self-management of behaviors, all of those fall under that practical domain. The second domain is the social domain. And this is a big, big issue for folks with FASD. Awareness of other people's thoughts, feelings, emotions, experiences. Under that social domain, you're also going to have elements of empathy to consider. Does the person understand the topic of empathy? Do they have any deficits or limitations? This section also relates to interpersonal communication skills. Can that person communicate effectively one-on-one -on -one with another person or in a group? Can they have a good give and take with communication? Do they know how to make friends? Do they understand healthy dynamics of friendships, intimacy? And it also relates to social judgment. Uh, this is a big com component of like gullibility and naivete. And unfortunately, many people that FASD struggle in a lot of these areas in the social do domain. And then the third domain is the conceptual domain, elements related to their memory, language, reading and writing, even math, problem solving. Can they use judgment in novel situations? So that's kind of a, just a crash course overview of kind of adaptive function. We can go a lot deeper into this, but I'll pass it back to you if you have any questions, Natalie. I'm really thankful, Jared, that you're breaking those into those domains. Now that we know what adaptive functioning is, uh, we have some questions about it. One of our listeners asks, why does FASD affect adaptive functioning? And why is it more dramatic or why does it appear to be more impaired with FASD versus other diagnoses such as autism? So before I do that too, a couple other adaptive skills for us just to keep in the back of our mind when we think of these questions. How does, how does your child or adult with FASD take care of a pet? Do they know how to sort laundry? Can they put away items after using them? Do they know how to order through a drive-through? Do they know how to dress appropriately for the season? Washing hands, brushing one's teeth, all of these things are adaptive skills. Why do folks with FASD have such limitations in the area of adaptive functioning? Well, we have to start with prenatal alcohol exposure, obviously, because that can damage parts of the brain that can impact decision-making, judgment, reasoning, 
working memory, self-regulation, those executive functioning impairments, executive functions, the CEO of brain. We know that most people with FASD have no outward signs of facial feature characteristics that are abnormal. So society often looks at people that FASD doesn't realize they have FASD, or if someone does have FASD, they don't understand the complexities of this because in a lot of cases, the individual with FASD can maybe talk pretty well so they can engage in kind of superficial chattiness. And if people don't fact check and verify, they may place a higher demand on that person's overall capabilities. And then this person then slips through the cracks. And when they don't complete treatment, they can't find a job, they don't do well in school. Sometimes the professionals look at the person as if they're doing this intentionally, when in fact, most likely it's rooted in the impairments caused by prenatal alcohol exposure. Now you throw on top of this trauma, and we know from the discussions we've had previously that unfortunately a very high percentage of people with FASD also have had adverse types of experiences early in life. And that can exacerbate memory problems. It can impact cognition. It can impact those executive functioning capabilities. But there's a lot of other factors that can influence either positively or negatively adaptive functioning. What is the person's overall intellectual capabilities like? Do they have a lower IQ score as well? Education can absolutely impact this. People with higher levels of education, in theory, should have better adaptive functioning. Again, none of this is ever going to be 100%. But how much schooling has the person had? Have they been around other people? What opportunities have they had to socialize throughout their life? Have they had vocational opportunities where they've learned skills throughout life or where they really sheltered and they didn't have a lot of contact with the outside world? Just general motivation can contribute to this as well. If someone is highly motivated and really seeking to learn new things and asking questions and really just having a curiosity-based mindset, this can help positively influence adaptive functioning. On the flip side of that, let's say someone has very low levels of motivation. I've seen this in a lot of situations on cases I've consulted on where I've worked with professionals who are serving folks with on the FASD spectrum. And I hear consistently a lot of people with FASD really struggle with lower levels of motivation. And when things get tough, sometimes they may throw in the towel. All of these factors can negatively impact adaptive functioning. What about sleep issues? What about co-occurring medical health or mental health issues? All of these factors can without a doubt negatively impact adaptive functioning. And we know almost 100% of people with FASD have a co-occurring mental health issue. Most have sleep issues. And even just general daytime fatigue, low energy can impact us as well. So those are just a few things to keep in mind, Natalie. So Jared, not only does the primary diagnosis of FASD affect adaptive functioning, but then, like you said, almost 100% of people that have an FASD also have a co-occurring mental health diagnosis, you have that impact as well. So do secondary characteristics come into play when it comes to adaptive functioning? Huge. I'll give you a primary example. Let's say if you have a child or an adult 
with FASD and they're dealing with a high level of behavioral problems, which unfortunately is very common in this population. Maybe they're engaging in some disruptive behaviors. They have poor attention spans. They're really impulsive. They struggle with irritability. Those factors alone can impact adaptive functioning. Why might those factors impact adaptive functioning? They can really get in the way of that person accomplishing their goals. Then they start feeling angry at themselves or other people. Maybe they're dealing with a high level of guilt or shame. Maybe they're dealing with lower levels of self-esteem or lower levels of self-efficacy. All of these factors too, again, could impact their sleep health. So if they're not sleeping well, they're just fatigued the next day. And that can get in really just can really impact their motivation, their follow through, and they may become more hyperactive. They could become more restless and just really struggle with taking in information. And if they don't understand what they're being asked to do, all of those factors can really get in the way and be barriers and roadblocks to successful adaptive functioning. And one thing I want to really stress to your audience too, this is a really important takeaway, not just for people with FASD, but let's say you are a professional working in a prison or a jail setting or an inpatient treatment setting or some sort of really structured setting where there's a lot of support and services in place. Those supports and services are fantastic, but it can mask these deficits because in structured settings, if the person knows what time to get up, what time to go to bed, what time to eat, what time to take their medications, they can look like they're way more competent than what they are. So sometimes there's a disconnect between how the person presents in a very structured controlled setting versus when those supports and services are not in place. That's when that true test of how their adaptive functioning really comes into play. So if someone's evaluating someone for adaptive functioning, it's important to really look at how that person functions outside of that really controlled structured setting. More times than not, without those supports and services, people with FASD really struggle. And that is an amazing takeaway, Jared. And I think that's something that our listeners should really take note of. And I will, I will print that and put that in a graphic for our listeners, because that is true. You know, we know that individuals with FASD, especially children and, and teens do much better in structured setting. But like you said, that can mask adaptive functioning deficits. So that that is a wonderful point. So and, and I'm glad you're talking about protective factors. We're actually going to address that later on in our conversation, because there are protective factors that we as parents and caregivers can be aware of when we're thinking about adaptive functioning in FASD. You mentioned our episode of FASD and trauma and how trauma plays a role in adaptive functioning. Let's talk a little bit about our most recent conversation of confabulation, suggestibility, and gullibility. How is impaired, how is having impaired adaptive functioning from FASD connected with those concepts that we discussed last month? I think the easiest one to connect it to would be gullibility, like that lack of social awareness, lower levels of social intelligence, lower levels of emotional intelligence. And I think the worst case scenario, the person could be talked into doing something that might be criminal in nature. They could be the victim of a scam 
or there can be very vulnerable. Victimization, unfortunately, is very, very high. What about friendship making? If they don't understand what constitutes a healthy friendship, do they become friends with someone they just met? Maybe they lack that stranger danger. Maybe they really struggle with boundaries or being assertive versus aggressive. Are they starting to engage with people who are much younger than them chronologically, but their brains align with those younger folks? As that person gets older, that could result in some serious problematic challenges for that individual. What happens if the individual is really thrusted or sucked into social media or that online world? And they have these lower levels of social emotional intelligence, this adaptive functioning. They don't understand when maybe someone's taking advantage of them. Or in some cases, there's I've consulted on cases where the person has given money away to strangers, thinking that that is a way for them to make a friend. So that is just something to really consider. And I think the dangers of social media for, for individuals with FASD, especially when proper supports and services aren't in place, can really lead that person down a dark path in some cases. And I have unfortunately way too many stories that of cases I've consulted on where that online world has really resulted in some just really sad situations and even criminal based activity that was not intentional on the person's part, but it brought them into contact with the criminal justice system. And from a family systems component too, this can really wreak havoc and add a whole bunch of stress, worry, confusion for that entire family system as well. And I like to remind listeners, Jared, that when you're parenting any in general, but especially when you're parenting a child with an FASD, I think it's important to prepare for those, you know, risks ahead of time. So if you have a child that is asking, when can I get a phone? You know, and maybe they're six or seven years old. When can I get a phone? And you know that they're socially and emotionally not ready for a phone or to be online or anything. That's the time to start researching what safety nets can I put into place? What filters, what, what protective factors can I put into place ahead of time? I think that when it comes to adaptive functioning, would you agree that as our loved one that has an FASD, as they get older, it becomes more prominent because society expects more from that individual? Absolutely. It's that a lot of times when the person's in high school, things are a little better in, in some cases. When they graduate and they become over the age of 18, that transition from teenager to adult, society puts more expectation on the individual. And that is a big time for this population to slip through the cracks, especially if they haven't had an accurate diagnosis and especially if they don't have a support system or team in place who looks through an FASD lens. I can think of a case I consulted on a few years ago. This was a gentleman that had suspected FASD. He, he was in his 50s. So by all accounts, he had FASD, but not officially diagnosed. His mom was a chronic alcoholic back many, many, many years ago. But I point this case out because I think it ties in nicely to the adaptive functioning. He lived in a structured group home 24-7. He really struggled with confrontation. 
he experienced a great deal of fear and he had a, a just extreme amount of fear of having people get mad at him. So he was a huge people pleaser and he would go along with everybody else. He would acquiesce, very impulsive in his decision-making. He lacked assertiveness and competence and he had childlike tendencies and he really had a limited insight. Needless to say, when supports and services weren't in place for this individual, he had a host of issues coming into contact with the criminal justice system, associating with people who were much younger than him, not for a criminal mindset, but he just didn't connect and he couldn't find friends who were his own age because he didn't function at that age. And he was really just motivated by external sources. What I mean by that is he was really motivated by like sugar, tobacco, fun stuff. So he always focused in the moment. He really was, he struggled with being a self-starter. So he struggled with looking to the future and planning ahead. So that this, these all were recipes for disaster for him until he got into a really structured setting where now he's doing a lot better. He has those supports and services in place, but without that structure, when he was a teenager and he started transitioning into adult things really started falling apart for this individual. So that is just one case of many I've consulted on, but there's usually a lot of moving parts with each of these cases. I think that example, Jared, really emphasizes the need for more supports and services and interventions and just programs for individuals who are 18 and over who have an FASD and of, of course, other brain-based diagnoses. We so often hear of early intervention, which is of course needed. And of course, you know, a, a huge protective factor, but we tend to, like you said, after the structure of, of high school or after the structure of, of the teenage type of programs are gone, then there really is minimal to to know supports and services out there. So that really just emphasizes the need of having those transition types of programs and services for an individual that that is now a young adult with an FASD. So I'm I'm really thankful you're bringing that up. Now I'd like to hand the microphone back to you, and I'd really like to for you just to share what you as a professional with, with vast experience and insight about FASD and thinking back of, of your years of experience, what specific learning points do you want our listeners to know, especially about FASD and adaptive functioning? In the back of your mind, always ask yourself some questions when we think of adaptive functioning is does if you're a professional, if you're raising a child, or if you're working with adults, it doesn't matter. Ask yourself, what can that person do without help or assistance or guidance? What is that person's level of knowledge like? Have they had a lot of experience in life or have they not had a lot of experience? What are their skills? What are their abilities? What are their interests, their hobbies? Focusing on those things, very, very important. But other things too, how does that person function in a non-structured setting? 
if you know when there's not supports and services in place that the person you work with with FASD is at a very high risk of coming into contact with the criminal justice system, they're at a higher risk of vulnerability and victimization, put structure in place, get support. What can that person do with assistance and without assistance? Do they need reminders and prompts because of memory issues, those kind of things? What is their behavior like in social situations, face-to-face, in groups, at work, at school, and online? All of these are very important questions to ask yourself. And if they have any limitations in those areas, find a professional, find a skills worker, maybe it's a support group, maybe it's a one-on-one coach, maybe it's in-home, maybe it's done through telehealth, maybe it's with a group of other individuals who've been diagnosed with FASD, the more they can learn these skills and practice them, not just in a controlled setting, but practicing them in day-to-day life, that can lead to better outcomes. I think it's also very, very important to ask yourself, When supports and services are not in place, does my child, does the client I work with have a higher risk of engaging in unsafe behaviors? Or maybe it's unreliable behaviors where maybe they're good one day taking their meds and the next day they totally forget. Or maybe it's unpredictable behaviors. Those are just a few things I would recommend keeping in the back of your mind looking through an adaptive functioning lens when working with people that FASD, regardless if it's a child or an adult. And as always, I'm taking very fastidious notes and writing these down. And we'll put these in a graphic for our listeners so they can see this wonderful, wonderful uh, information that, that you're sharing with us in this insight. So now our, my previous question ties into this question, which I think you've addressed many of, of these uh factors. How can caregivers, loved ones, educators provide or find interventions, supports and services? And I'm really thinking of focusing on the protective factors to help with adaptive functioning, particularly to help with impaired adaptive functioning. Absolutely. So a couple other things just to think about with adaptive functioning that I don't think people realize that are so important too. Other areas of difficulty, if we can identify the areas of difficulty, finding the supports and services structures to put in place, but other areas of difficulty could be problems with distance, getting from point A to point B, getting lost on public transportation could be a real sign of adaptive functioning issues along with some other things. Time management, do they get time mixed up? Time can be a really abstract concept, so helping people really define time, visualize it. What does five minutes feel like versus an hour? Define the beginning, define the middle, define the end. Driving behaviors, what about that? Future planning, goal achievement, money management, organization, planning, all of these things. Anything you can do that helps that person learn these skills not just in one setting, but multiple settings through an adaptive functioning lens. So instructions, modeling, coaching, teaching, role-playing, practice, consistency, not just assuming the person gets it because they've learned it one time in a group treatment setting or one time in a structured therapy setting. Can they demonstrate this skill they learn consistently in the home 
in the community on their own without reminders. I think it's also important when we think of promoting these things, really understanding the literature and research on optimism and gratitude, helping people have more optimism and gratitude can in theory help improve adaptive functioning. If the person that you're working with has a negative affect and negative disposition on life, helping them change maybe those self-defeating thoughts and behaviors into more positive, helping them grow and learn, find a purpose in life, getting them involved in a support group, not just for the individual, but for that family too. Anything we can do to promote competent coping strategies is a good thing by increasing, I think, self-efficacy, self-esteem, if they deal with emotional regulation problems, helping them learn how to put on the brakes and pause and reflect and just helping them have a greater sense of well-being. How do we do that? We talked about sleep a little bit. If they're having bad sleep, maybe it's working with a sleep specialist, a sleep coach. Maybe it's a referral to a sleep doctor who can do a sleep study. Are they getting good exercise? Are they learning how to manage their fatigue? Slowing down, not multitasking. I think multitasking is a really struggle for this population as a whole. So focusing on one task at a time. Getting the stress down in that entire family system is so important, especially now, now more than ever with COVID-19 going on. A lot of these things are only amplified. So anything we can do to bring down the stress, the anxiety, the worry in that home, if people are eating healthy, exercising, getting good sleep, all of these things can really help make a huge difference. So those are just a few things I would recommend. This is fantastic information, Jared, and fantastic insight. One more thing before we wrap up, and this just kind of came to my head suddenly. Um, we're, we're a big tech family here. Uh, you know, my husband makes mobile apps for a living and, and our son is very tech savvy. How does the role of technology come in helping with adaptive functioning? You're, you're talking about some, some things about like time management and things like that. I'm thinking of like, there's apps, there's, there's technology that can help with that. Are you, do you have any recommendations for how people can use things like either assistive devices or smart appliances or apps or things like that? Can that assist with improving or at least being a protective factor for adaptive functioning? I think it absolutely can help if used effectively. So we don't want to leave it to the person's own devices to always rely on that because we don't want to create technology to be an over-dependence. So they have to learn how to somewhat do it for themselves. But there are apps out there to remind people to take their meds, to go to appointments, but not just relying on like their tablet or phone, but maybe it's a visual calendar. Having different calendars around the house can be very important. A medication box or something that's labeled using visual calendars for time, having a digital kind of maybe a clock that, that has the actual numbers on there and showing like visually showing, okay, this is 12 o'clock, this is one o'clock times of the day, having charts, visual calendars, very important. There's something called video modeling. I would recommend your audience to be aware of uh, because sometimes people with FASD can have information processing deficits. So if you're just sharing things verbally with them, 
and not demonstrating it with a picture. I think using pictures, feeling charts in some cases, um, there's something called social stories that come out of the autism literature. You can use that stuff, making things practical, chunking it out, visual, using different types of ways in which to teach the person. Maybe finding out how that person best learns. Do they best learn by doing it or hearing it? Now, I'm a big fan of psychiatric rehabilitative approaches. Those are approaches that are rooted really in adaptive functioning, coaching, modeling, teaching, role-playing, doing things over and over again. As a whole, and everyone's so different, insight-based approaches are tricky. How and why questions can be tricky because those are rooted in abstract reasoning, abstract reasoning deficits, core issue with this population. But if you can make things as simplified and concrete as possible, and not just teaching it in that controlled setting, but teaching it at home, teaching it in the community. Maybe it's teaching them how to take public transportation where you're going on the bus with them from point A to point B several times, and then maybe having them do it one time, but you're on the phone with them the whole time, you're coaching them through it, building up their confidence. Again, not everyone with FASD, that's probably a good idea, but you have to individualize it. But using these approaches in different settings and making sure when you are teaching these skills, the whole family system is on board. The last thing we want to do is have mom say one thing, dad say something different, the therapist say something different, the case manager, making sure everyone's using the same lingo. Because then if, if we're not, things get lost in translation, things get confusing, the person maybe globs on to one idea and then dismisses all the other ideas. So I think consistency, structure, routine, and making sure everyone really has an FASD-informed lens. Family, caregivers, the school, the therapist, whoever's working with the individuals is the best approach, I think, in my opinion. Amazing. Amazing. And I appreciate your saying that technology is helpful and can help, but we should not rely on it because that can be, uh, that can actually end up, you know, being more harmful than good if that person is dependent on that technology. So using technology as a tool to walk alongside, but, but not as, as a dependent. So I appreciate that. Before we end, I'd like to remind listeners that Dr. Jared Brown was on last week's episode of FASD Family Life with Robbie Seal. Jared and Robbie discussed sleep disorders. And I think that's paramount to listen to that episode. Uh, either if you haven't listened to it, go and listen to it. Um, or if you've already listened to it, now that you've heard this episode, listen to it again. I'm really thankful that Jared is able to share his insight and experience on our podcast on FASD Family Life, on Spotlight on FASD, and of course on FASD Hope. So Dr. Jared Brown, I am just so appreciative of your wisdom and your experience and your passion for educating those in the FASD community and, and those who want to learn more about FASD. So thank you again for teaching us about this, this crash course in FASD and adaptive functioning. You know that we like to end our episodes on hope. 
And this is our last, uh, one of our last episodes for 2021. So I just wanted to see if you had any uh, words of hope for our listeners, not only about today's topic, but just about their FASD journeys in general. You bet. Thank you, Natalie, so much. I recently gave a talk to a different organization, not about FASD per se at all, but on the topic of gratitude. I think what better time than now to really infuse gratitude into everything we do, regardless of our circumstances, because it can take the edge off. I'm not saying it's going to get rid of it, but if we can bring down the level of stress, anxiety, worry, trauma, whatever's going on, I think gratitude really is a positive psychological strength. And it does tie in nicely to this adaptive functioning talk is if we have more gratitude, in theory, some of the adaptive function components may be able to get a little bit better because our brains will be in a position to maybe take in new skills. There's a lot of research on gratitude and sleep. So if you're, you're um, struggling with sleep problems, there's plenty of research to show if you truly practice gratitude on a regular basis, that might have a really positive impact on your sleep. I do a lot of work like in digestive health issues too, and inflammation from a behavioral health lens. There's research on gratitude helping bring down inflammation in the body and inflammation is a huge driver of all kinds of not so good things. So gratitude, optimisms weaved into there, and even resilience relates to all this. Anytime you can build resilience, resilience is like a force field against bad stuff. It can help us bounce back more. And resilience, just think of us as being more bendable and flexible during times of difficulty rather than we break and we crash. Those are my thoughts. So So once again, Dr. Jared Brown, thank you again for being on FASD Hope. Thank you so much, Natalie. I really appreciate it. What an honor to be on here with you and keep up the great work with all the wonderful podcasts you're doing too, all kinds of people. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.